Welcome back to uh, Amplify. Um, our guest is uh, Wendy Elsip. We're talking about her book, uh, Companions in Suffering, uh, Comfort for Times of Loss and uh, Loneliness. And she writes in the book, um, there are any number of passages that probably could summarize what we talked about in the first hour, but one of them would be this one. And again, I'm reading from the book, Companions in Suffering. Suffering exposes the truth that Jesus taught in John 15:5. Apart from him, we can do nothing. But with him, in our deepest moments of pain and struggle, we can find intimate fellowship that equips us for what we could never do individually on our own. Despite our mental distress, we are secure. We have a partner in this treacherous walk, and his love will not let us go, and then she has this quote from Isaiah 53, 5. He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and we are healed by his wounds. And so she, she, she uh, encouraged us to pray that God will open our eyes to the power of the Holy Spirit within us, uh, hopefully most of us understand we can do that. But Wendy, one of the, the very important lessons that uh, I think you taught me and will teach others is that when we need to reach out to someone, find someone who has suffered like you have because they will understand what you're going through and will be able to help me help us more. Is that not true? Yes, and even more generally, I found, um, I've kind of gathered a group of friends that I trusted with my most intimate struggles, and um, they didn't even have to suffer exactly how I did. Like, I did find some encouragement from Divorce Care Ministries, and I found some encouragement from friends who had, um, had breast cancer, but more in general, it was just friends who had suffered. And one of my friends is wheelchair-bound after a a surgery did not go well, and he hasn't been able to walk in about 20 years. And he, you know, our struggles are very different, but he was such a good listener and friend to me through mine. And then I had two friends, both who lost their dads um, tragically in their 50s um, when they were young, newly married, and um, both of their dads died in the prime of their life, and they were good dads. And um, both of them really walked with me well. And so it's really even more so than just a one-to-one correlation of the suffering, but I think that any suffering in general equips us to better enter any suffering of someone else. Um, and so I'd say look for the sufferers. And um, not always, not not will every sufferer be a good companion to you, but it's a good place to start looking for someone who can identify and encourage and walk with you. And I would think that this book would be very helpful, especially to those who aren't as familiar with the Scripture as perhaps we would hope they would be. Uh, because they've been away from the church for a long time, or maybe never been in the church, uh, or for many other reasons I can think of, because um, 
Um, the question I would raise then was, is how can we realize that we need uh, supernatural help if we don't understand Scripture as well as you do? Yeah, I, I do hope that I've presented it in a way that kind of escorts people who maybe don't have the familiarity with it to see Scripture first as worth engaging with, um, that Scripture has some really important things that are a good guide to us. Now, when when we're at our worst points of suffering, you know, it's hard to it can be hard to engage Scripture if you're not familiar with it. One of the things that a friend gave me, even as someone who was very familiar with Scripture, I had some points where it was just hard to get my mind around anything. And someone sent me um, a coloring book of Bible verses, and that ended up being a great help to me when when doing any real study of Scripture or trying to understand it more on my own was just beyond me mentally. But just coloring a Scripture verse gave me something to anchor on to, to meditate on. And I think there's, personally, I believe there's supernatural power in the words of Scripture, and I always found it helpful. Yes, um, you, you didn't mention you also have type 1 diabetes. Um, yeah. And the most profound loneliness you believe can occur when you're surrounded by others. Uh, um, what is it that makes us lonely when we're in a crowd? I know for me, probably the worst points for me were actually going into church on Sunday mornings when our family of four became a family of three. And I felt really alienated because I was struggling with such deep, dark emotions, and I almost found myself, like if someone would come up to me to ask me how I was doing or to have small talk with me, I almost would like back away from them because I, I was afraid of taking the cover off the manhole because there were such deep, dark things going on in my head and heart at that point, I didn't want to have conversation with people. I didn't know how to have uh, small talk. And if someone wanted to ask me sincerely, which I had many people who loved me well at that church, but would ask yes. me sincerely, how are you? I would have to run sobbing from the room. So there's just... Um, complicated things going on at, at any point of suffering that just make you, in a public situation in particular, if the emotions are big and deep, you're just trying to hold it together to not run crying from the room. Um, and I spent, you know, a long period of my life, I don't, maybe years, I know for months at a time with each new crisis that came along just feeling like if someone asks me how I'm doing, it's just I'm going to fall into a pit of puddle, a puddle of, of tears, and I can't function that way. I have two small children, and so 
I, I struggled greatly with um, having deep emotions going on. I still had to function. I still had to go take my kids to school, still wanted them in church. Right. But figuring how did I keep the manhole cover on the emotions when I was out in public because I couldn't function sobbing all the time. Yes. And um, you, um, when going back to the people who can help us, uh, you write, what do we gain from fellow believers who have suffered before us, matured and comforted by God, and who then comfort us in our suffering? And and you tell us about those kind of people, folks who sit with me and listen rather than offering trite answers or simplistic Christian sayings, friends who pray with me asking God for direction rather than offering advice of their own, friends who can give wisdom on how to be rather than what to do, and you write, sufferers understand being in a situation where you can't control the outcome. Non-sufferers might feel threatened by that idea and have a hard time with anything except advice on how to get out of your suffering. And then finally, folks who understand this world is not our home. We are pilgrims on a journey through a dry and weary land. But there is great joy waiting for us eternally in heaven. Suffering exposes the prosperity gospel for the heresy that it is. I didn't touch on that yet, but you touch on that at the very beginning of of your book, The Prosperity Gospel. And then a little bit later, you write, we all need friends who will talk us off the emotional ledge, who aren't threatened or horrified by the depths of our deep emotions when we are in crisis. And you write on in, in your book, Companions in Suffering. Yeah, I think it's really important and necessary to have friends who are not threatened by the struggles of your own faith. And I was kind of a Christian leader in my church um, and someone known for having a strong faith. So I had to be careful to find those who had a strong faith who wouldn't be threatened by my at times, lack of faith. But I did, and God brought me folks that came along my path whose faith, um, who would believe for me when I couldn't believe for myself, and who would pray with me, repeat Scripture with me, and also they would do it regularly. I had three friends in particular who would call me multiple times a week. And sometimes I would talk with more than one of them on any given day, and I needed that repetitive, like it was the manna. I needed that repetitive truth spoken to me when I couldn't speak it to myself, when I didn't was struggling to believe it for myself and struggling to even form a coherent thought sometimes. But these friends would speak the same truth to me over and over again and kind of talk me off that emotional ledge Um so that was a blessing to me to have them. And um, let's talk a little bit about uh, Psalm 69 and its importance uh, to you. But as for me, Lord, my prayer to you is a time of favor and your abundant faithful love, God. Answer me with your sure salvation. Rescue me from the miry mud. Don't let me sink. Let me be rescued from those who hate me and from the deep water. Don't let the flood water sweep over me or the deep swallow me up. Don't let the pit close its mouth over me. Answer me, Lord, 
for your faithful love is good. In keeping with your abundant compassion, turn to me. Don't hide your face from your servant, for I am in distress. Answer me quickly. Come near to me. Ransom me because of my enemies. And those are only verses 13 through 18. And so um, you tell us that we're in a rude awakening when we confuse biblical wisdom with biblical promises. What is the difference? Well, it's the cause and effect. Uh, So a lot of us want, like I talked about earlier, you want, and we, we teach our youth, we teach young marrieds these things, make these wise choices so you will have a good life. And, um, the Bible doesn't promise it in that that exact kind of framework. There's wisdom. There are wise choices to make. Um, there's obedience. There's a reason to obey God. But it is not always a one-to-one correlation with physical earthly blessings. It doesn't always end up with physical health. It doesn't always end up with a spouse who doesn't end the relationship. Um, so we have we have to obey God, um, and we make wise choices because it's the right thing to do, and because God calls us to that. But we also have to recognize that isn't um, going to mean that we never struggle with negative circumstances. And what David offered us in Psalm sixty nine was this beautiful psalm about one. I think the wording he uses is, I'm paying back what I did not steal. Mm-hmm. And so David himself is in this situation where he's he's experiencing consequences of someone else's sin. And I, I really appreciated that language because I didn't really have words. I didn't know how to even articulate it, but this feeling that I was paying the consequences of something I did not choose. Um, and I didn't know how I didn't know how to lament that. And so David's words, and just to, to know I wasn't alone, I wasn't the first person to feel these deep kind of dark emotions. And sometimes I feel like you know it's easier if you can see the mistake you made because then you know how to write it for the future. How do I not make that mistake again? What can I do to repair these consequences? But David gave me a language and hope when that wasn't really the experience for me, and I was paying consequences. You know, I was I was paying back what I did not steal, and at sometimes you can just be bitter about it, just bitter and angry. Why am I paying these consequences for choices I did not make? But that's boy, that'll undermine your hope for the future very quickly. And so instead, I lamented it with David. And David gave me language for hope and hope in Jesus, because David has a lot of gospel language in that psalm, even though we don't see it fulfilled and don't really understand it until we see Christ come. How might your life be like David's? Well, for me, my particular circumstances around my divorce, I don't want to, that's someone else's story as well, so I don't try not to get into too much detail there, but in general, I feel like 
I have identified well with him and his emotions, and I, I'm thankful. So David wrote us so many beautiful psalms that give us language for when we sin. David knew he was a sinner. He knew how he had sinned against God, and he laments and confesses and cries out in sorrow for his sins against God and others. But he wrestled with God over multiple types of circumstances. And so he gives us many, and, you know, he just gives us language to use. Because, you know, it's interesting in Romans 8 that the Bible notes that sometimes we don't know how to put the words to what we're feeling. And that was a big problem for me. I didn't even know exactly how to identify what I was feeling at times. And, you know, a lot of people talk with a therapist, and I, I have some myself. I don't downplay that at all, but it was just really neat to me to find language in Scripture for what I was feeling. And David's language helped me understand what I was feeling, almost like a therapist, but, um, you know, and inspired by the Holy Spirit therapist, which is the best therapy in the world, you know? Yes. And um, um, I, I like the way you, you summarize uh, uh, your love for uh, Psalm 69 when you write, fundamentally, Psalm 69 is a prayer that we won't drown. And though my circumstances yeah. haven't all resolved the way I had hoped, I can confidently say that I haven't drowned. The things right. that I thought would destroy me did not actually destroy me. God doesn't always save my bank account or my health, but he does save my soul. You have the same hope in Christ. Pretty important message. Yeah, it is. It is. And we it's hard to believe it in the moment. It's really hard to believe. And that's why we need these companions to believe for us when we can't believe for ourselves and to enter into our suffering as we enter into them. And it's so beautiful that God hasn't left us as an orphan to figure out how to get from point A to B. How do I get to that point where I wake up and I realize, oh, these things that I thought would destroy and ruin me didn't destroy and ruin me. And I have hope, and sometimes I laugh. And I, I enjoy times with family and my kids are having fun. You know, you never envision yourself ever getting to that day again. But um, it's the scripture that, that helped me hold on and helped me get from point A to point B when I couldn't see any way to get there on my own. Right. As you write about uh, hope in, in your book, let me read us out to uh, our... Uh, final uh, break. And if you just, just stay on the phone and we come back for the last part of our program, you write again, title of your book, Companions in Suffering. There are a few moments in Scripture where the words paint in vivid detail the contrast between our devastating need and God's overwhelming provision. Between the end of we have come to in ourselves and the unstoppable power of God's hydraulic lift that catches and raises us back up. 
This moment in Psalm 73 is one that strikes me every time I read it. When I tried to understand all this, it seemed hopeless until I entered God's sanctuary. Then I understood their destiny, their destiny, excuse me. And then you write, the psalmist felt completely hopeless as he tried to reconcile all he saw in his hopelessness. Welcome back to uh, the final um, segment of Amplify, where our guest is Wendy Elsop. We're talking about her book, Companions in Suffering, Comfort for Times of Loss and uh, Loneliness. And um, she writes in a book that um, she has benefited from Psalms. We've already referred to Psalm 69. We've talked about the book of Job a little bit. And uh, um, she's also benefited from Psalm 73. And she believes that throughout history, the church believers have found Psalms true help at the worst points of suffering in life. And then she writes this uh, within a chapter that's titled, Help My Unbelief. What do you desire on earth? To whom have you looked for rescue through your path of suffering? I desire the restoration of broken relationships and peace from physical suffering and look to pastors, counselors, and medical professionals again and again for help. Some things have helped, but many things I looked to have disappointed me greatly. When I enter the sanctuary of God and avail myself of the access to God that Christ's death provides, my desires get redirected to the only source that can ultimately reconcile all things. My flesh fails. I am physically overwhelmed. I am medically overwhelmed. My heart fails too. I am emotionally overwhelmed. I don't know how to navigate the burdens of broken relationships or the demoralization of ongoing ill health. But God is my strength and my portion forever. Tell us a little bit about, uh, Wendy, about Psalm 73 and how it has strengthened and comforted you. Psalm 73 is a really neat psalm because it is so straightforward, so clear about the agony of the psalmist, and it just walks you right through his lament, his He's so demoralized. He's a, This is Asaph, who wrote psalms and was a, a choir leader, a song leader um, in the, the temple. And so he's someone of, of that had led worship, but he is at this point where his faith is so shaken. And um, he's honest about his questions, and he, he even says, you know, if I had given if I had spoken it out loud among the people, I would have been betraying. He would have been betraying his faith. So he's trying to keep it in, but he's really feeling all of these things. And then he gets to this point where he's so very low, watching the righteous suffer and the wicked um, get away with it and mock God and just everything is at such a low point. And then he says he entered the sanctuary of God. And it was through this worship and communion with God that suddenly everything 
changed for him, but not in his circumstances. What changed was his perspective. Then he understood, he said. Then he understood their end, their destiny. He, it, it's like he had out-of-focus glasses on. And when he went in the sanctuary of God and worshiped God and read from the scriptures and communed with God, suddenly his glasses were, it was like he had new glasses on and he could see correctly. And his just entire perspective changes, though none of the circumstances had changed. And that's what is so sweet about Psalm 73, how um, the the, his perspective and uh, goes from a man-centered perspective to a God-centered perspective, and how when God, when he's focused on God, suddenly all of the other things have this totally different place in his life, and he has such a sweet conversation about his relationship with God. He holds me by my right hand, and so you see Asaph um, given giving a picture of God holding his hand and leading him and guiding him to glory. And um, I just love the psalm and never get tired of it because it is so explicitly helpful in how it leads us. So the first half of it is an honest look at everything that was wrong. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't try to talk us. It doesn't get quickly to the resolution. It gives us plenty of time to be honest about the problem because you can't be blessed by the resolution until you're honest about the problem. If you gloss over the problem, the resolution makes uh, the resolution's like a some kind of easy um, thing. But and if you if you're honest, like Asaph is honest about the problem and the deep emotions and dark emotions with it, then when you get to the resolution, it really means something because you know what it is answering. You, you write, the answer to my withering hope or joy is always for me to find a quiet place where I can read Scripture and pray without interruption. And you write that within a chapter titled Ambiguous Loss. What is meant by ambiguous loss? These are the types of losses that often uh, don't fit a tidy um, cycle of grief and, and maybe you're not recognized um, in culture quite the same way some are. So if you have a terminal cancer diagnosis, as grievous as that is, we might have more of a set way of dealing with it. But, um, you know, if you have a spouse that goes uh, it goes missing overseas or maybe someone, a family, a close family member is sent to jail, um, or uh, someone is diagnosed with a debilitating disease and they start slowly descending over time. It's a different type of loss, and these are often losses where someone is both present and absent, so they haven't died, but the way they yes. are with you is different. And our culture really doesn't recognize those types of losses in the same way but um, they can be very, very fatiguing mentally. Mental illness, if you have a, a loved one diagnosed with a mental illness, these are uh, very, very deep emotional struggles that society doesn't recognize in the same way. Let's, uh, let's jump ahead a little bit as we 
come to um, uh, the last uh, little less than 15 minutes of our program, um, Waiting on Jesus, and uh, here you write about uh, the story of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, and you pull from both Luke 10 and John John 11, and it's a very powerful story. Uh, you write that uh, you, like Martha, often experience turbulence in your well-planned days, and Every day I am faced, you write, with a similar smorgasbord of choices as Mary and Martha were, but my plate can only hold so much. Mary whispers to us in our tent of suffering, in the midst of chaos and many balls to juggle that come along with our long trials, not to forget to sit at Jesus' feet and learn from him through the scriptures. And... Um, this is where we uh, read from the beginning of your book where uh, from John 11, 32, 35, Jesus wept. Yeah, Mary and Martha's story starts before Lazarus died because they have this interaction where Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha is uh, troubled by much serving. She's trying to be a good hostess for Jesus and his disciples that are there in, in his house. And Jesus says, Martha, you are troubled and upset about many things, but one thing is necessary. And Mary has chosen that better portion, the good portion. So as nice as it was that Martha was feeding him, she probably was aware of him having just fed the 5,000. So um, but but what Mary was doing could not be taken away from her. She was learning at Jesus's feet, and what she was learning at Jesus's feet, Martha needed to know also. And then when we get to them, the, um, in the next scene with Mary and Martha is at Lazarus's death, um, and Jesus had waited until Lazarus died to go and see them, and I just found their interactions with Jesus very interesting because other than his disciples, they are the two um, most described interacting with Jesus as friends. Um, and so they're very bothered, you know, that he did not come and save Lazarus from dying. But the Bible says that Jesus waited so because he loved them. And he, it's very explicit in Scripture. It's not Jesus loved them and he waited. It was that he waited because he loved them. He loved them, so he waited because what he wanted to show them required them to go through this period of suffering in order for him to show them his glory as God over death. He had already healed people of sicknesses, so they all knew that he was a God who could heal. But he wanted to show them that he is the God who can raise from the dead. And, um, and yet, even though he knew how he was going to resolve all of this, he still felt the turbulence and the upset with them, and he yes. wept. Um, and the language that um, John uses to describe that scene, if you look at the, the little individual words that he chose, it paints a picture 
that um, gives you insight into the emotions going on among all of them. Like we tend to focus just on the fact that he raised Lazarus from the dead, but he interacted with the emotions around Lazarus's death and um, loved Mary and Martha. And he, he felt their emotions and he entered their suffering. And so there's so much, it's so much sweetness to be gathered from that interaction when we are, in those situations. Right. And I, if I can amplify on it just a little bit in your own words, reading from your book, Companions in Suffering, you write, because he loved them, he wanted them to see face to face his power as God and his authority over death. None of his authority as God to defeat even death could have been shown if Jesus had not waited to come to them. Jesus seemed to be avoiding them. Though we know the resolution to God's temporary silence to Martha, Mary, and Lazarus, many of us experience our own similar silence now. We do not yet know how God will work it out for us. But that's where we hope and that's where we trust, right? Yes. And and many of us, our waiting has lasted a lot longer than just a few days. And so we wait still, not knowing what God is doing, how he's going to work it out. But we have these companions who have walked similar situations before us who encourage us not to give up. He is working. Watch how he worked for me. I don't know what he's doing for you, but I know his character. And that's the sweet thing. When we see Jesus' character with Mary and Martha, we, our situations are different. Um, we don't have a one-to-one correlation with their circumstances, but our, our God is the same. So the same character that he revealed with Mary and Martha, that's the same character he has and the same love he has for us in our circumstances. Right. You're right. Jesus understood Mary's feelings and sympathized with her despair. Why? Because he entered her suffering. He enters ours, too. He doesn't watch our suffering from the outside. He walks into it with us, bearing it with us. And then you you write a little bit later, in the Garden of Eden, humans were not created in perfection to weep at the death of a loved one. We were not created in perfection to break faith with our spouses or to bury our children. We were not created with fears or grief. These elements entered the world at the fall. The griefs and frustrations that agitate us today agitated Jesus as well to the point that he willingly laid down his life to defeat sin and death once and for all. Says it all. Yeah. It's it's good to think through the fact that um, he, you know, he was there at creation, creating the world in perfection. So the God doesn't enjoy the fall, death, disease, sin, and sickness. These these are not normal to Jesus any more than they are to us. And he is afflicted, and he feels the pain and the weight of, of suffering as we do. And then you write, like Jacob, I walk forward in life with a limp. 
At times, I feel like I experienced an amputation. My divorce cut off my one flesh relationship with another. I also experienced a true physical amputation when I had my mastectomy. And the pain in my hands and feet remind me of the chronic illnesses I will likely endure until I die. Um, so beautiful. Let me, let's, we just have a couple minutes. Um, the appendix, offering companionship to the suffering. You want us to allow for lament, to insist on specific ways to help. Few sufferers are going to let you know if they need something. It's not the sufferer's job to keep you informed. That one jumped out of me. It's not the sufferer's job to keep you informed. And give and receive grace for yourself and your suffering friends. Say just a minute or two about this section. Yeah, a lot of folks have uh, commented that this was really helpful to them. I, as I suffered, I realized how little I had understood of suffering before, and I was not a very good companion to others. But one of the big things was, especially with physical ailment, and I'm, I'm sure with deep grief as well, you the sufferer often cannot think through what they need. And I had many well-meaning folks, you know, say, tell me what you need, you know, or call me if you need something. Let me know if you need anything. And then sometimes people were offended if I needed something I didn't let them know. But um, sometimes I couldn't think through it. And at the worst part, especially physically, I couldn't even, I didn't feel like calling someone. Maybe I was so sick, I didn't feel like picking up the phone and trying to think through what I needed from the grocery store. And so I really benefited from people who took the initiative um, and would call me up and say, can I do this for you? I had ladies who pretty much insisted, and they paid a housekeeper to come and clean my house for me. And, oh, my goodness, that was so helpful. <laughs> and I had some that would call me to, um, you know, I am going to set up meals for you. So, <laughs> and kind of insist. And check in with me that way but you you depending on where people are in their suffering a lot of times a sufferer cannot think through who they need to call or don't have the energy to make the call and um it's good to be aware of it and not be offended that someone didn't call you instead you just take the initiative and you give them a call and see what the, you how you can help them and offer them specific things and what you also learned uh and I'm reading again from your book, I stopped praying for relief from my struggles and instead asked to lean closer into Christ so that I could persevere with hope as I struggled taking hold of him as he has hold of me. I prayed for God's help to adjust the burdens on my back. I prayed he'd help me carry these burdens and follow him anyway. And then you write, I too have found my journey less like a prison, more like a room, less like a casket, more like a womb. The cloud of witnesses testify to us, too, that scars fade over time, and in their place 
we see we are conformed to the image of Christ, his character forged in our heart and soul as a result of our hard journey. Our guest this evening has been Wendy Alsop. The, num- the title of the book is Companions in Suffering, subtitled Comfort for Times of Loss and Loneliness. What a wonderful guest you've been, Wendy, and I know you're going to help a lot of people and um, help them in so many ways as they turn out to others who have suffered that can help them, but always going back to the Word of God, to what you've referred to as uh, supernatural help uh, that God can give us. There's so much we can learn from the life of Christ and apply it to our own. Thank you so very much for being with us. Thank you for having me. All right. May you continue to be blessed and continue to bless others in so many ways. God love you. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye now. So um, as I indicated, um, this is the kind of program that you could almost have any time. And then there will be, we're going to talk about suffering next week also, but from a, a different perspective Uh, not solely, but from Scripture, as Wendy does. But again, she has drawn so many lessons from Scripture scripture that all of us uh, can benefit ourselves. And uh, in that way, as she said, uh, lean closer into Christ and even be able to imagine in our worst times Christ taking us in his arms and holding us firmly. Don't forget then, how precious life is and how powerful love is. Tell someone now that you love him or her. Pray for peace as if it depended on you alone and come back next Sunday and amplify with us.